Hello and welcome to the Controller Talk podcast presented by Danfoss North America. Our goal is to bring you information about using Danfoss controls in the supermarket and warehouse industry, specifically in the U.S. and Canada. We're doing these twice a month for now. You can catch these podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. I like saying that. And it's also available through the Danfoss Ref Tools app. For the video version, check us out on the Danfoss North America YouTube page. Search for Controller Talk to see our video collection. I'm Dave Yoder, along with Chris Brown. Well, Chris, football season on the college level is just about wrapping up. Where is Maryland going for a bowl game? I don't know. I've got seven and zero basketball team, so oh, I see. Shifted. You've turned the page. <laughs> you got to keep up here. You're moving on. <laughs> uh, okay. We we did close it out against Rutgers Strong. On okay. the football side, so. Okay, winning record? Yes. Okay, good yeah, for them. Wait and see. Wait and see. Okay, cool. We'll see you in the Cotton Bowl or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Danfoss should have a refrigeration bowl or something. Someday. <laughs> Danish kroner to whoever wins. That's right. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, Chris. So we've been meaning to talk about a little controller that's not really a controller at all. Um this little guy is uh, called the EKC202D2. Yep. Um, we're going to call it the EKC a lot during this podcast just because it's easier. And you're only going to find this in one of the national retailers. Um, it, it's a controller, but it doesn't really control anything. And it um, has a remote display option that looks just like the controller from the front. And it's the only one we make with this type of green display on the front of it. So um, it's got pleasing colors, and uh, it's you'll know it when you see it. But um, the confusing part is it it started out as a controller, and now it's not really a controller anymore. But we'll sort all this out. Yeah, and we'll tell people how they work, how to troubleshoot them, um, how to set them up, all that good stuff. Yeah. So this uh, this EKC two O two D two started out as a controller with relays inside and everything. And then we needed a solution for some very specific requirements. So they made some changes to this guy. The, um, the red display was swapped out for the green display. And like I said, it's the only one that I know of that has a green display like this that we make. And then they took the internal relays out of it and they added an Echelon RS-485 communication card and uh, of course, all of these are powered with 100, 120 volts AC. Right. So <clears throat> there's also a remote display option that is sold. And um, the way it usually works is um, on the side of the walk-in coolers and freezers, you'll usually have this EKC by itself. And then on the cases, the EKC is going to be mounted either up on top or underneath the case. And then they'll have four wires that connect to the remote display. And then that's on the front of the case. And that's the only part that you can really see uh, unless you tear apart the case and find the other part. Yep. Which so that does confuse guys. Sometimes if they're coming across it for the first time, they think the remote display on the front is the controller, but there's a separate element there. Yep. Um, so, I mean, the purpose of, of the EKC here, it's, uh, I mean, primarily it's, it's to do what you said. It's to report the temperature display well display it locally at the case but then also report it back into the system manager so it's displaying locally um what would normally be a sensor mounted in the honeycomb or the discharge air in the case that it, it's mounted to 
Um, so you get your temperature value right there. And then it, again, is communicating that value also back to the, the rack controller or system manager, whether it's a 255, 800, 800A, they, they all can pick this thing up and, and get the readings from the EKC. That rack controller or system manager is in turn using that reading to control something, relay for a solenoid, a stepper valve on, on a suction side EPR. Um, so it's it's not just taking the temperature and displaying it, it is using it for other functions in the controller. It's just not the EKC controlling it directly. Right. You can have multiple EKCs that are all controlling one, one valve. So just a circuit that's got multiple sections, multiple sensors, cases. Um, same deal here. You could have four sections, four of apps, each with their own EKC, but they're all controlled by a common valve or, or relay. So that, that can be part of the setup here as well. All right. And a lot of those, they just pick one of the EKCs to be the controlling temperature, right? Yeah. And whether they put an asterisk or something like that to designate it in the name. But yeah, they normally are picking one from a, a group if there's multiple sections to control off of. Yep. Um, when the case goes into defrost, you'll see that on the front of the display. It's going to have a lowercase d with uh, some some dashes on either side of it. So that'll be your indicator that it's in a, a defrost state. So if the case is warm, that's going to be your sigh of relief that there's not something actually going on there. Yep. Um, you can actually hook a second sensor up to each EKC as well. So if you have something to, to put on the coil for a defrost termination, for example, you can have a second sensor wired up and then have that value send into the, the rack controller for defrost termination, for example, um, if we need something there. And it's just the formatting of how the, the points are addressed in the rack controller that differentiates whether you're looking at the discharge error or the, the defrost termination in that case. Uh, and, then, so, and then again, back to the purpose of this thing, it eliminates what you would otherwise see where you've got a bunch of wire going back from the case up to the machine room for each case. So you're eliminating multiple sensor runs for one communication loop that's hitting all these EKCs on a daisy chain. So pretty significant um, reduction in, in wiring and installation costs by going this route. Yep. All right. So if you have to set one of these up, uh, there's a few things you need to know. Um, each one of these, and we're talking about the controller in this case, the part that gets the 120 wired to it, and of course the sensors wired to it, um, each one of these needs an address number, and uh, each address is going to be unique. So at either the remote display or the EKC, you would hold the top button down until you see the first parameter, and that's R01, where R is lowercase. And now you know that you're in the parameter list and you can make some changes to those. And now you need to get yourself to the parameter for the address. So you would press the lower button until you see parameter R05. Now we can stop here because this will allow us to get to the, um, the setting where you can verify that the readings are going to be in Fahrenheit. So if you get to R05, you press the middle button and then you want to see either a C or an F. And then if it's not what you want, you can press the top button, which will flip it. And then the middle button will save that setting. Um, then you can press the lower button until you get yourself on down to parameter 003. And that's the address parameter. So you would use the upper button to move to a higher number. And when you're at an address that you want, then you hit the middle button to save that. And then you'll get back to uh, just 003 on the screen. 
And, yeah. and if you don't, sorry, got you off. But if you don't see that parameter, that either means you don't have the comp card in there or it could be bad. So yeah. if you don't see 003, there's a reason for that. That's true. Yeah, if there's no card in it for some reason, yep. then uh, yeah, you're going to have a problem finding that parameter. Right. Um, but all of these are shipped with a card in it. So that's the good thing. Yep. Um, and if you don't know what address is supposed to be in that particular EKC, then you would go up to your main controller, um, go down through your list of evaporators, and then you're going to see an address next to each uh, sensor listing. And um, so if the next to the case temperature, it says something like 14 colon 1, that means that it should be address 14 in that controller. Right. And the one just indicates the first sensor reading we're pulling off of that, which is usually your case temp. Right on. Yep. So if, if we're running into problems here and we've got some troubleshooting to do on the EKCs, um, we'll just touch on a couple of, of uh, common issues you could see there. First one would be if it's going offline with the, the rack controller system manager. Um, so when that happens, when the EKC goes offline, what happens on the system manager side is it locks into the last temperature value that it received that was within its normal range. So if it was reading 35 degrees when this thing went offline, case or the the rack controller is going to show 35 degrees regardless of what it actually is down at the case so keep that in mind because that, that if it's offline that's not going to be a true reflection of what's going on um you will get offline alarms in in the rack controller um on the the newer models the 800 a's when you look at an alarm you usually get a description an address that sort of detail the description column is just going to show the word object there. So it may not be clear cut right away that that's what is offline. If you, when you're seeing that word object, it will give you the address of the EKC. So you want to pay attention to that. Um, but when you see the word object in an alarm log on an 800A, it's usually referring to an EKC that's offline. Uh, this is like our other EKCs, I think, where you can have the three flashing lights icons on the left side. Um, so if you're seeing that, and usually pressing the top button, you'll get an alarm code that gives you an indication. Is it a high temp reading? A few others that, that could be occurring. Um, so you can have flashing icons that can give you a code that, that indicates a, an alarm that's sitting in there. So that's something to look for. Uh, if the remote display uh, is just flat out blank, if there's nothing showing up on there, then you want to, again, that, that display is linked back to the main EKC controller. You want to go back and look at that EKC and make sure you've got power there. Um, and then we do also see times where the remote display just has some dashes on it and no other information. Uh, so that could be a problem more so on the EKC side itself, not with the remote display. So you'd want to check the EKC and that could boil down to it having to be replaced. And then uh, if the, the remote display or EKC has the, the right temp displayed, but it's offline, um, going back to kind of replacing one, you want to check parameter 003. So sometimes these things may get installed and the guys didn't realize they had to address it. So it could be one that's been installed as a replacement and we just have to go in and now enter that address under that 003 parameter to get it to come online, obviously doing a rescan afterwards in the rack controller to do that. If the temp's showing a 248 value, uh, you want to check to see if the sensor wires are on the right terminals on the back of the EKC. They should be on terminals 15 and 16 for the, the discharge air sensor, which is our S4 designation in most of our equipment. 
So if the wiring's okay on the discharge air sensor, but the reading is wrong, we know that you can home out the sensor in uh, ice water or ice bath, and you should have a thousand ohms equating to 32 degrees there. Yep. And then last but not least, if everything else is right, but the EKC is still offline for an offline issue, and I mentioned it a second ago, um, but you want to do a rescan and start there. And then again, if rescans aren't bringing them offline, it could boil down that we have to replace these. You, you will see times where maybe isn't it one, maybe it's four or five, six of these that are offline at once. And so normal troubleshooting there, com loop. Maybe we have multiple that are bad, but there's a few things you'd have to hammer out. Yeah. If you got found yourself in that situation where uh, maybe someone else replaced it but forgot to address it, mm -hmm. so then you come in and address it, then you can pretty much bet you'll need to do a rescan. For sure. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So keep in mind that the communications through this EKC, like we said, is Echelon RS-485, but pretty much in every site, the main controllers are Echelon TP-78. So you'll find a silver box back in the compressor room that we call a bridge, and uh, it converts the signal from one type to the other. So in this case, it's going from RS-485 Echelon to uh, TP-78 Echelon. Uh, many of these rack controllers are going to have one or two of these uh, installed to convert the communication signal. So if you suddenly lose a whole line of these things, then you can always check that bridge to see if it's got its 12 volts AC power. Uh, the tricky part is the bridge has no lights on it, so you'll need to get your voltmeter out and yep. uh, do some troubleshooting with that guy. And some people will swap them around if they're not sure, and that's that's an option. Um, but fortunately, bridges don't go bad very often. Yeah. Okie dokie. So um, that should help anyone work on these, these EKC 202 D2s with this green display next time you see one. Um, these are often paired up with the stepper valve, and there's one valve for each circuit. Uh, in case you're wondering, we have part numbers here for the EKC itself and then the remote display. So for the EKC, the number is 084, B as in boy, 8693. And for the remote display, it's 084, B as in boy, 8670. And those part numbers are written on the back of each part, but sometimes it's easier just to write it down than tear it apart to find it. Yep. All right, Chris, let's move on to uh, my favorite part of the podcast here where I try to throw something at you and see uh, if you have the answer or don't. <laughs> um, at some point, we're going to go back and check your, your score see where you're at on these. Can we not? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this one is... Uh, I kind of like this one because it's both a memory test for you and a practical test for our listeners. But um, you may or may not recall that uh, this is based on a true story where uh, a guy goes in, does some troubleshooting on a rack with I.O. boards, um, finds a bad power supply, changes it, and then calls in and has someone do a rescan for him. Okay. Um, much to his surprise, the next thing he knows, rack A's pressure readings all go to zero and the rack shuts down and he's not even sure why that happened, but all he knows is that he's got a problem because things aren't running now. Um, so I guess the first question is, do you remember this one? And the second question is, uh, what was the problem? Uh, -uh. I think you got me stumped there. 
Are we you're over two on this system manager doesn't come into play the model. Um, mm-hmm. This one was a two five five. So they changed the power supply, rescanned, and it went to zero on. Yeah, yeah. This was a good one. And the type of power supply doesn't come in. It's not the twenty-four volt AC we're dealing with here. Type of power supply is irrelevant. Okay. Yeah, in this case, Are you got to tap out. Yeah, I think you got me here. Okay. So the deal here was um, un- unbeknownst to this guy, someone had come in and wired in a new uh, communication module and I/O board, mm-hmm. and I think it was. I think they were intending to add a cabinet. Mm. as part of a remodel so, so they addressed wi- it to match rack they wired it in but set the address to one or it just yep. came that way and they didn't really care because they figured we're not using it anyway yep and that address matched the address for rack a's compressor boards yeah duplicate yeah, yeah. so yeah. you're right so then when the rescan was done which probably didn't have to be done anyway mm-hmm. um we had two number ones and the controller would go back and forth between which board it was really talking to. And most of the time the pressure reading read zero. Right. So the compressors got shut down. Mm. Um, Makes sense. <laughs> I think in the end, we never could find the other that new board. So we had to make a game time decision and change the addresses on the boards in rack A to get everything running again. Easiest way to do it. Yeah. And then we notified all the people that typically get involved with their remodels and said, hey, there's a surprise waiting out here. (laughs) Yeah. So that was a good one. Hmm. All right. Now for something a little bit more uh, easy for you to handle, probably. Uh, Listener mail. So our probably our favorite listener from the Czech Republic had a question. And that was about a new product that uh, Dan Foss has released. And that is a TXV for CO2. Sure is. Which is kind of a, a different animal. And he was wondering, by the way, that's we're talking about Václav over in the Czech Republic. He's wondering, um, you know, where can you use it? What do you need to know about it? Um, yep. All those kind of interesting things and what applications you could use it in. Yeah. So it's, it's just the first mechanical or TXV on the market for CO2 across the board and anywhere. So I think we're pretty proud of it as a company to, to be putting it out there. Um, it is, uh, it, it's kind of a, a byproduct of an existing series that we have. So a T2 is a existing TXV series that we sold to the market for years. And so this is just a variation of that for CO2. Um, <clears throat> so it's obviously been, changed manipulated for the refrigerant type and and the aspects of it the high pressures and whatnot so it's a a 90 bar max working pressure on the valve which is a pretty typical cutoff point for a lot of equipment on co2 systems on the low side of the system for 90 bar which puts you around 1300 psi so you're well above any relief valves or some of the the limitations of the other material piping and whatnot that that we have there um it does have a, a max operating pressure a component to it so again we want to make sure our pressures aren't getting too high we have mop charges and a lot of our other valves that we have out on the market and this one has a, a mop rating at 640 pounds so again it's another way to limit the high pressures from getting to parts of the system we don't want it to um, so that that charge element that's inside of the, the bulb there on the valve it's been adapted for that refrigerant type uh, it, it comes in seven different seven different sizes. 
um, in terms of orifices, and the orifices can be exchanged. So we go anywhere from about three-tenths of a ton up to a three-ton system we can supply the valve to. So we're talking smaller display cases all the way up to some some cold rooms um, that the valve can be used in. So opens up the market some for people that maybe wanted to get into natural refrigerants and CO2 but didn't want to go down the whole path of uh, electronics. You're going to still need them to some degree for the control of the the compressors, uh, if it's a rack system and whatnot, but um, maybe this eases the burden a little bit on the case side to now have a, a less expensive mechanical option versus case controllers, electronic valves, and whatnot. Yeah, interesting little gadget. Yep. Even though it's a, certainly not new technology, but no. it's the first time in this realm. And we want to treat CO2 like it's just another refrigerant type on the market, and this gets us a step closer by being able to offer a mechanical valve. Yep. So it's good to see. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. If you'd like to drop us an email with a suggestion for topics like Václav did, or uh, send us a question or a comment, you can email us at ControllerTalkNorthAmerica at DanFoss.com. That's ControllerTalkNorthAmerica at DanFoss.com. Thanks for listening. Our studio and video engineer used to be Michael. Don't call me Mike Beckerman, but I haven't seen him lately. I don't know who that is anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like Maria does everything around here right now. <laughs> and of course, we've got our new guy, Josh Tignall. Um, he was told not to touch anything because he's only been here for like a couple days. But uh, who knows, next week he might be running the place. But one thing for sure, our audio engineer is still Raul Garcia. Until next time for Chris Brown, I'm Dave Yoder. Stay cool. <laughs>